cool. Welcome to OA Lighted Candle Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would like to now introduce one of my favorite people in the world and speaker for tonight, Lisa. Wow, that was quite an introduction. Hi, I'm Lisa Ann, Compulsive Overeater Bulimic. Hi, Hi, everybody. Thanks, Ore. That was very sweet. I'm recording myself. I'm the podcaster. <laughs> oh, my God. So I can post this in a month if I want. Um, welcome if you're new. We didn't have any newcomers, but if you didn't identify, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, so glad you're here. This program works. Um, I have so much time because nobody took chips or candles. Um, Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while since I've spoken at this meeting. And, um, you know, I guess what I want to, you know, it's been a crazy couple of years, right? And uh, as far as I know, this is one of the only live meetings in Los Angeles that I know of. Um, I don't know of a lot that have gone back live. And it's really good to see you all here. I'm so happy that we're here together. Um, My disease is a disease of isolation. And let me tell you that being at home on my couch, even though I was going to meetings, was really, you know, I'm I'm a get sick quick chick. That's what I call myself. (laughs) I get sick really quick when when, when I'm separated from you guys. And I think that, I always believe and think that I don't need anybody. And when I'm left alone for too long, I find out how much I need you. And, uh, and it just was different um, online. It was different. It wasn't the same connection. So I'm so happy that we're here together. Um, very grateful that um, this, this meeting is live. This is my home group. My sponsor's here. My OA sisters are here. Um, we, we have a very active community in our family, and um, we just follow along like little ducks, our sponsor. <laughs> and she's a great example of this program. And she loves this program, and she loves this meeting. And, um, and I'm grateful that I have that example in my life, because left to my own devices, I will stay home, and I will get sick really quick. Um, so... What it was like, um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. I was born into alcoholism. My father started drinking when he was 18 years old, and he drank every single day till the day till the uh, till he was 49 years old, and then he got sober in AA. So my dad was an example of 12-step recovery. When my dad stopped drinking. My dad drank every single day. Like, we would go to the grocery store down the street, and he would have a glass of wine in between his legs. Um, I I was just in Dallas visiting him, um, and I told him that story, and we were laughing. He was just like, really? Yes. It was scary. It's scary driving with him when he's sober, but, like, when he's drinking, forget it. Um, And then my mom, so they were were still married, obviously, when I was born. Hello. Um, Well, I guess that's... They could not be married, right? (laughs) 
Um, but back in that, back then, people were married, um, even if they didn't want to be, which was the case in my family. Um, but yeah, I was born into that family, and um, and when I look back, like when I think about being born into alcoholism, like alcoholism is very chaotic. There's you know, there's a part in the big book that says the, you know the warped lives of blameless children. So I was one of those. I was one of the, my, my life became warped. I was a blameless child. I was born into alcoholism. And, um, you know, that doesn't make me a compulsive eater, but what it did is it set the stage for me to need um, to fill the void. You know what I mean? There was a lot of neglect in my family. I have two older sisters and a younger brother and um, and when I was young, the way that I filled that void, that parental bonding that I did not get, was by at, at first I, I read, I loved to read, reading. I remember my aunt used to always scold her children like, "Why don't you guys read like Lisanne?" And it always made me feel so good. Um, I would leave them notes on the refrigerator. Can I come live with you, <laughs> my aunt and uncle? Um, because they know they saw me, they they noticed me. I, I was seen in their family, and um, and I loved to read. And then, as I got older, like as I started going to school more, I was I was I got a lot of attention for being really bright and smart. I was a gifted child, um, so I got attention for being smart. And then, as I got older, and more was expected of me in school, like I was I was expected to know more. I thought. Um, and wasn't I, I thought that because I was gifted, I wasn't allowed to ask questions. I should already know. I, I started to not succeed in school. I did the opposite. I like hid, and um, and um, and then you know also in uh, another way that I that I filled that void was by having crushes on boys. Like I would pine over these boys who who had no interest in me at all and it started really young like I remember in third grade I had a huge crush on this boy and um so that started way back then and it's gotten better (laughs) it's gotten better um I now I just pick really bad relationships but um but I don't pine anymore uh which is good but um so yeah so so school boys um, and I remember too when I was young, um, still when my parents were still together, um, I, I my food stuff started. Like I started to. I remember I used to go to this this um, store. It was called the Treasury. It's kind of like a Target or a Kmart or something like that. And they would have these giant bins of like chunks of chocolate that were just like broken off of like you know just all these chunks of chocolate wrapped in and it said the price on it and I would steal money from my parents drawer and I would go and buy these chunks of chocolate and I would hide it in my room it was all mine and um, I would just take bites out of it you know and uh, so you know and then I, I, I had a friend who lived in the community where we lived and in in her family they had a treat drawer in their kitchen and it was filled with candy and I would go over to her house, and I would go to the treat drawer. And I remember one time, they had soda. We never had soda or candy or anything like that in our house. And they had, like, a liter of soda in the refrigerator. And I went in there, and I took the liter, and I just, like, chugged it. And I, like, passed out. I, like, passed out from the soda in, in front of their refrigerator. And um, I remember coming out of it and just being like, what happened? I, I, it was crazy. Um, 
so yeah, so I start my food stuff started young, but it didn't get out of control until I got older because I had all of these other things, reading, school. I was obsessed with my sister. My sister was a budding alcoholic and um, she was always getting into trouble, running away, like doing all this stuff. And so I, she was my project and I would follow her around and try and get her to come home. And so she took up, thinking about her took up a lot of my time. But when she left home for the last time, I was about 15 or 16 years old, and that's when my eating disorder really kicked in. Um, you know, I was, I, you know, I went through junior high school, and it wasn't really a problem then. That's that's when she was really active, like doing all the stuff, getting into trouble. I would like, you know, get in between her and my father. My parents had split up by this time. My dad took us from my mom because she was running amok and uh, wasn't was kind of leaving us home alone at nights and um we were very we were unsupervised we were unsupervised with her and with him actually quite honestly um but he was the better choice he was the better choice just because he would at least come home at night um and so i would stand in between my my dad and my sister and um you know, tell him, you don't even talk to her. Like, I would, I, I don't know who I thought I was, but I would, like, try and control and manage their relationship. And um, he would listen to me because he didn't want her to leave. He didn't want her to run away again. And then finally she left home for good, and, um, and I was left, like, with nothing, <laughs> with no project, nothing to focus on. You know, um, I was just left with myself. And... Um, I was so uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable. And somewhere, I think I think I was, like, in the girls' bathroom at school or something. I think when I was in the 10th grade, um, I heard some girls talking about eating and throwing up. I don't know. I mean, it didn't sound appealing, and I didn't really understand what they were talking about. But... Um, but I remember I was, I was at my boyfriend's house. I had a boyfriend at the time, and... Um, we had, we had eaten lunch together or something, and I, my stomach didn't feel good. And so I went in his bathroom, and I made myself throw up. That was the first time I did it. And then I was like, oh, that's what those girls were talking about. And I kind of tucked that away. And, um, you know, over the next couple of years, I started doing it more and more and more. And um, by the time I was... Um, leaving high school, it was pretty regular. And I ended up leaving high school pretty pretty early. Um, I, well, what happened was <laughs> I, I didn't go to high school. I mean, I just didn't go. You know what I mean? I would just pretend I was going, and then I'd wait for my dad to drive away, and then I'd go home and watch General Hospital, Luke and Laura. Um, the Luke and Laura days. <laughs> Ice princess! Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, and me and my friend, my friends would come over and we'd smoke pot and watch General Hospital. And um, and then, you know, and then I would binge and go throw up, right, after they left. Um, so it started to become more a regular thing. And then I took the GED because I, I wasn't going to school, and by the time I was a senior, I was told that I would have to go a full another year in order to get enough credits to graduate. So... I talked my dad into letting me take the uh, proficiency test, and um, and then I just white you know I just white knuckled it, waiting for the results because I I thought there's no way I'm going to pass, and I did. So um, so you know I I 
started going to junior college and you know my dad picked all my classes for me so I was pissed so I stopped doing that um you know I started you know whatever I was running around and and uh I met this uh my sister Danielle had moved out um from where from our home my dad got remarried Danielle moved out and I would go and hang out at her apartment all the time and she had a neighbor friend and uh they were always partying and stuff, and I met this guy there, and we started dating, and um, and you know, fell in love. Maybe I don't know. I just wanted to get out of my dad's house. Um, and one one weekend, I went to go stay with him and his family, and um, I just never went home. I didn't have any clothes. I didn't have. I just never went home. And I started living with him and his family, and um, you know, I just was a non-functional person. I I. I didn't know how to live. I had no tools for living. I I just moved in with this family, and they took care of me. They gave me a job in their wood finishing shop, and um, you know, I I would binge and throw up during the day while I was at work. Um, it might, you know, and then at one point they had me start watching their two little daughters, which was a horrible idea. I should not have been watching their daughters. I had no business being a babysitter or a, yeah, caregiver of any sort. And, um, and I didn't know how to say that. I, you know, I didn't know how to say that. Um, and I kind of felt like because they were letting me live with them, it was something that I needed to do. Um, but I had no tools for taking care of those kids. And I remember one time I, um, you know, so I'm watching these kids. I'm inviting my friends over. Everybody's partying. I'm eating and throwing up in the bathroom. You know, I would I would eat all their food, and oh, it was just it was awful. Um, and one time, I went into one of the little girl's bedroom, and she had written this note about me inviting all my friends over and them doing coke in the house. And I was like, crumble, 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 throw away into the trash. They probably already saw it at that point, but um, but it was just crazy. I had no business doing that. So then they asked me not to do that anymore, and they let me work in this little sandwich shop that um, I was living on Silver Strand Beach in Oxnard. I mean, it's so beautiful there, like right on the beach. I missed the whole thing because I was so not present for any of it. But um, we, there was a little sandwich shop that she bought, and I would work in her shop, but then I would eat all the food during the day while she wasn't there, and um, and she'd be like, I mean, it was she was just like, what? Where did this, did you sell all this? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> no. Um, and I used to bake for her. I used to bake for her shop, and so I would have all these like brownies in my freezer, and I would just binge on them and throw up. And uh, I just I don't know. I, I just feel like I look back at that time in my life, and it, it's like a blur. I just feel like I I don't remember. At one point too, like then she I, she asked me to not work there anymore, and she set me up to babysit this family's kid. I don't know why she did that after I watched hers. I have no idea, but I started watching this little boy, and I just was home all day, binging and throwing up with this little like he was so little. He was really cute, and he was so little, and I just sat him on a chair and turned on the television and just left him sitting there. I had no idea what, what I was doing. And um, that's what my life looked like. Um, and, and when I look at, like, the last couple of years, even though my food, 
my food situation is different, like my food is clean and I'm, you know, no longer bulimic, that isolation of just being at home all day long with nobody, it just, that's what it reminds me of. And um, it's heartbreaking. Um, I ended up leaving that relationship. It just went south, of course. Um, and I went back to live with my father. And, um, and my bulimia was just out of control at that point. I, would just, I was just going in my room and binging, you know, binging at night and, and throwing up in the bathroom. And, um, and, you know, I was doing some partying at the time, too. I was, going, you know, sneaking out and then sneaking in at, like, 6.30 in the morning. And I remember one morning my dad came into my room and he said, get up, get dressed, get out. It was, like, in his tough love phase. Um, but uh, but what I know, what I found out later is he was newly sober. He had gotten sober, and I didn't know that. I used to I, I always wondered why he was like he would sit in front of the television and he would shine his shoes and he would eat grapes like every single night. Shine shoes, eat grapes, and I asked him later like what was that about? Because it was so weird. It was like happening every. He would just sit in front of with his shoes and eating grapes, and he goes well. The grapes tasted like wine to me, so that's why he was eating the grapes, because they tasted like wine. Um, so he asked me to leave, and so I went to stay with my mother, and um, and she introduced me to a friend of hers who let me rent a room from her, and um, I was working as a waitress. I was a terrible waitress, horrible um, it was not good, and people would complain about me all the time, but, you know, and, and I hated working, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I wasn't nice, I was angry all the time, and, um, but, but the one thing that made me show up for work every day was that I would, I would be able to order food to take home with me, and then I would, um, I was living with this woman, and um, I, I was, she was, con- kept confronting me about my throwing up, like, she'd be like, because I wouldn't clean the toilet after, and so she knew, she was like, the, the bathroom smells like vomit. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> I wonder why. Um, so, I, so I started bringing that food home after work, and then I would just bring it in my room, and I would, I would binge, and I would throw up into plastic bags and put them in my closet, and then I would throw them away later. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just terrible. Finally, she asked me to leave as well, and... Um, and so I got a, I got a roommate, a, a girl that I worked with at that restaurant, and, um, and we were living together. And, you know, I was barely making any money, and, um, but I was, you know, still able to, you know, bring food home from that restaurant and, uh, and binge and throw up. And, you know, she started asking me questions about it. And then I, I met this, this guy in the, in the community where we were living, and um, I started partying with him. And he, um, he got tired of me and asked me to stop coming around. And so I started dating his roommate because that's kind of how I do things. And, um, and then that man became my son's father. So there's another way that things are done. But it was crazy. And, um, you know, I was running around. I was partying with these people. I was eating, throwing up. I got fired from that job. Um, and, uh, and then I got pregnant with my son. And, um, and I remember, like, I was eating and throwing up early in my pregnancy. And then I thought, oh, well, why am I doing that? I'm going to gain weight anyway. So I stopped. Um, but it was a crazy, crazy time with um, a lot of 
drinking and drugs and people and craziness, and we lost our apartment, and we were homeless um, after my son was born. Um, and uh, so, like, for three months, when my in my son's, you know, first year uh, of his life, we were homeless. And that was enough to kind of straighten me out a bit and made me want something more, you know, I had somebody else that I had to care about and worry about, so... Um, I asked my dad for help, and he came and got us, and um, and I went into a, a like a recovery place uh, that allowed women and children to go there, and um, and so you know I of course all my partying stopped, and that just left me one more time with myself, and I was a new mother. My son was 15 months old at the time. Um, I had no idea like what I was doing. Um, and I was, you know, I felt like I was in it alone. And um, I had this little person who demanded a lot of my attention. And I'm kind of somebody who's like, you know, don't want anything from me, don't need anything from me, like, just don't, you know. Um, and he needed everything from me. And I was not in a position to offer that. And um, and so it was really hard. Um, but I went into this program and... Um, you know, I started getting my life together. And, you know, thankfully my son was there with me, and, um, you know, they had, like, parenting classes and things like that. But one of the things that um, didn't change was I, I was, like, finding bathrooms, you know, throughout the place to go and, you know, after every meal go and throw up. And I finally did talk to my counselor about it, and um, he sent me to a therapist and I remember that during that period, I was there for 20 months, and um, and out of that 20 months, I stopped throwing up for one month, 30 days. I marked it on a calendar, and um, and then I just stopped talking about it, and um, and I continued on, you know, covertly <laughs> finding bathrooms so that I could go and throw up. So you know. When I left that program, um, I did go into a 12-step program, and um, and I was, you know, I was there. I had a sponsor. I was going. I was working steps. I was, you know, I was in the in AA, and um, doing all the stuff. Very active, going to meetings, commitments, all the things. But I didn't tell anybody about my bulimia, and so for eight years into my sobriety, I ate and threw up every single day, and it was like, it was like you know, get up, go to work, you know, I, I showed up for my life, I went to my meeting, I did my commitment, I talked to people, I was like a robot, I swear to God, talked to people, and then I would go home, shut all the blinds, turn off the phone, you know, my son, sent my son to his room, and then I, you know, ate and threw up, ate and threw up, and I would, I did that for years and years and years in my sobriety, and, um, it was a horrible way to live, and I couldn't stop. And um, what happened was, I, I, um, you know, I, I, I was around recovery long enough to like want to live. I guess I wanted to live, and I was so afraid that like my heart was affected. Like I, I, I think I saw like a movie, a Lifetime movie or something about a, a bulimic who um, who died, and so I got scared. And so I talked to my friend Aliki about it, and um, 
and she told me she was in, in OA and that I didn't have to live this way if I didn't want to. And um, actually before that, I like I think a year before that, I forgot to tell this story, a year before that I told my sponsor at the time, and she said, if you don't stop throwing up, I'm going to send you to OA, and I'm going to make you call Leslie. <laughs> and I was like, no, can't call Leslie. Um, uh, little did I know that, that therein lied, lied the answer. Um, but yeah, Leslie's my sponsor today, so she sponsored me for a long time. Um, but I did not want to come to OA. I don't know why. I don't know. Wh- I didn't know anything about OA. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really know anything about Leslie at the time. I, I knew. I knew of her. I saw her around. Like she looked very together, and she was very active, and she was a great example. Um, but I just, you know, I guess I just was not ready to let go of my bulimia at the time. And it got so. It just got worse and worse. And then I thought I was going to die. So I talked to Aliki. And uh, she told me about OA, and I started calling her at first, and um, and I remember her saying to me, because I was so terrified that if I stopped throwing up, even though I was already puffy and, like, swollen, because I was, like, you know, throwing up every day, and I was just, like, it was terrible. My eyes were always red. Um, she told me that... To, you know, don't worry, you know, it, just stop throwing up, you know, your your weight will work itself, she said, you may gain weight in the beginning, but it'll just all work itself out, it just, it will just all work itself out, and so I, for whatever reason, I believed her, I believed her, and I started coming to this program, and I started calling her, and I started, um, you know, working the steps, going to meetings, taking commitments, doing the stuff. I was the angriest for a long time, I think, a newcomer in this pro. I was so angry because I kept trying to, like, control and manage my food. Like, I did not want to give up sugar, so I would eat sugar-free, and that is a big problem. If you know, you know. It's bad, bad, bad. Um, it does not do nice things to your body. And... Um, I was just so angry. Like I, I always say, I have this this um, journal that I used to write in in my early days of abstinence, and I my writing looked like a serial killer wrote it. I was so, and I was just like, I effing, I was so mad. I hated everything. And I remember like driving home from meetings and just screaming in my car at the top of my lungs. Like I don't know if people saw me, but I looked like a lunatic. <laughs> I was just so mad. Um, I was just full of rage, 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 rage. And and it and my rage went on for a long time. Like I remember, it was long into Leslie sponsoring me. Um, I think I, I mean, I came to this meeting. I was living in the valley. I drove over here. I was going to a dance that night, and I had forgotten my sweater. I don't know if you remember this, but I had forgotten my sweater. And I walked in. I realized I was like, "Oh my God! I need to go get my sweater. I can't go out tonight without my sweater." <laughs> and she goes, and I was like, I was all mad that I had left it at home because I lived in Tarzana. Didn't want to drive all the way over there. And um, she goes, I, I, "I don't know if she said it that night, but at one point she said to me, you know, she goes, you default to anger, and nobody likes being around an angry person." And I was like, oh, like the word default. I was like, I default to anger. I do. And it, it still can be a problem today. 
Um, it's not as bad. I've gotten. I'm, I'm a much more pleasant person, but I still can default to anger. She's like nodding, because <laughs> <She knows. laughs> I was so angry all the time. Um, and uh, you know, so I started coming here, and you know, food, whatever. It, it was so hard at first. It, I didn't know what to do. I didn't trust anybody else's judgment. I didn't want to talk to anybody about my food. So I did it on my own for a long time. And then, you know, I changed sponsors. I think I, I think Leslie started sponsoring me at that point. And, um, and, you know, it was all about, like, don't throw up no matter what. And so I just did that a day at a time, a day at a time. Um, there were periods of time where there were certain foods I couldn't have in my house because I would hear them talking to me. Like, peanut butter would be in my cupboard and to be like, here I am. I'm here. And I, I, so I couldn't keep peanut butter in my house because that was a binge food for me. And I can have peanut butter in my house today, and it doesn't bother me. In fact, my food has changed a lot in that I can, I can, I can eat whatever I want. There's, there is a price to pay for it, absolutely. But I don't binge and throw up anymore. That has been removed. Like that has been removed. It, it is, it's not something that ever comes up for me a day at a time. And I'm so grateful for that because I could not stop throwing up. Um, I never thought that that would go away. And I also never thought that I could live a life without being so angry. I was so angry all the time. Um, so I started working the steps in this program and, you know, taking commitments. You know, I've been coming to this meeting for a long time. Um, I remember going to the Tuesday night book study at the cottage. You know, I was secretary of that meeting. Michelle was there. We were all there. It was, it was, you know, such good times and just, you know, being a part of this program and this fellowship. Um, there's, there's such a sweetness to it. And, um, you know, I, I moved away for a while. I, um, I got married. It was a really bad, you know, another bad boy choice, choice for me. Um, and, uh, you know, there were lessons to be learned. And I lost my abstinence after that relationship ended. I came back from, I moved to Florida for a year. And, um, and I ended up getting a sponsor out there and getting really clean abstinence and then coming back home and losing my abstinence for seven months. And that was, um, that was a really painful time. Um, and I remember during that time, my son at the time was 16 years old. You know, we, we had had our, our journey together. You know, my son is, uh, he has, um, he has a learning disability. He's on the, on the spectrum. So he has a lot of challenges. And, you know, I did the best I could with, you know, this, he got into a really good school and stuff. But, you know, for a long time, as I said, I wasn't present in his life because I was, you know, in my eating disorder. And, and you know, for those of us, us that have children, you know, this disease affects our children just like alcoholism, just like alcoholism. I brought my tissue because I knew I would cry. Um, and... Um, you know, my son, I modeled to him, you know, that, that life of isolation. And so that's kind of the life he lives now. And he's 32. But I remember um, when he was 16, when we, when we got back from that, from living in Florida, um, we, were, we were in his room one night, and he was, he was bending over, picking something up out of his closet, and he stood up. 
and he, I, I like looked up at him, and I was like, oh my god, he was like six two, two hundred pounds. I was like, oh my god, I was supposed to be raising a man this whole time, and that's not what I had been doing. Thank you, I see that. So I started to focus more attention on my son and spending more time with him. We we had a date night. We like started, you know, I, he was a senior in high school, and I was very present for that for him. And he ended up graduating, yay! And um, but he's had his struggles, a lot of struggles, and I've had a, I've had my struggles being his mom. Like I I cannot stop trying to fix it. I just feel so responsible. And um, this last year, I realized that um, how, how my relationships lack balance and that that relationship was very unbalanced and that, you know, I can't care more about his life than he does because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much I care. It doesn't matter what I do, how much money I throw at it, like how much I try to give him guidance and tell him how to do things. And, you know, if he doesn't care, if he doesn't want to take action, it doesn't change. And so um, I had, like, a surrender around it. You know, I was I was at a, an Al-Anon meeting, and, and somebody was speaking on the 10th tradition, and she flippantly said, well, you know, my opinion doesn't mean anything anyway. And I was like, Oh my God, my opinion doesn't mean anything to him. And it was just like a slap. I was like, holy, you know, it was kind of like default to anger. It was like suddenly I heard that truth. And um, since then, I've like detached from the agony of involvement. And what I mean by that is being involved, like watching him, like watching every move, like how do I know that he's, you know, spending his money and not going to work and all the things. I had my ways of knowing. We're very sly in our ways of knowing things. And um, I'm a good stalker. I'm a really, really good stalker. Um, But um, I stopped. I stopped watching. And oh my God, what relief. Like I, it took all the pain away. It took all the pain away. Now, do I worry about him? Absolutely, I worry about him. Um, but I, but I'm not. There's no involvement, so I'm not in agony over it anymore. And that is such a gift. Oh my gosh, I wish I hope I wish I could give that to people who struggle because it is so painful to be involved like that. Um, and then you know, I had this thing happen recently in a relationship that was really painful and. Um, upsetting and uh and you know you know I feel like it's a it's kind of a moment for me you know one of the things that we do here in this program is we we get a a a relationship with the God of our understanding and you know I I believe that there is a power but I do struggle with it a lot and um I'll tell you when this thing happened I was immediately surrounded, not only by people who loved and supported me, but by people who had experience with what I was going through. And it was like, it was just there. It was just there. And, you know, I can either believe in God and trust that there's a power, or I can be alone in my pain. And that's the choice that I have to make. Like, alone in my pain, because I felt very alone in, in my 
in my um, experience that I was having. And um, I can choose to be alone in that, or I can choose to believe that there's a power greater than me. And that experience of having these people, I was like, there has to be, like, I'm not alone, so there is a God, you know? Um, and so that's been a really amazing experience. Um, this last week, my dad um, had a surgery, that alcoholic who got sober at 49, and um, he, you know, he had the surgery, and it turned out just to, you know, then he got a, you know, an infection, and it just turned out, so I flew to Dallas, and I was with him um, for a week while he was in the hospital, and, you know, he was, it was, it was really sweet, and I'm so glad I went, and um, it was really hard to see him so frail and fragile, you know, he's 84 years old, and, um, but I showed up for him, and he was really grateful that I was there, and, you know, I, I flew home on Sunday, and my little sister from my dad's second marriage went and that Sunday afternoon and stayed with him, and miraculously, he started getting better. <laughs> I was like, I am not taking that personally. Um, but uh, actually, it turned out I think they moved him into his rehab too soon because um, he had some struggles there. But he's he's slowly, slowly, slowly on the mend. And I've been I've learned in this program to show up, suit up and show up when things like that happen. I I am not a caregiver. I I don't know how to be around sick people. I remember saying that to Leslie before. Like I, it scares me to be around sick people. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And somehow I just knew. And I just showed up and sat in his room. He slept most of the time. I just sat there for like eight hours a day on my phone, like doing nothing. Um, and I'm just glad I was there, you know. I'm a good daughter today. Um, you know, life is good. My food is good. It's clean. I didn't eat over any of that in the last few weeks, which, or months, actually. Um, all this stuff that I'm, that's going on with my son and my health and my dad, and, like, I didn't eat, and um, I didn't throw up, and, you know... My my food is clean, and my, I'm so I'm so much better when my food is clean. Um, you know, I was listening to Chapter Five being read tonight, and you know, if you're new, everything you need to know about our program is here in this in this reading. Like, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Thoroughly is a hard thing to do. There's a lot we do in this program, so that's a lot to ask. But it's it's easy once you just get on the path. Just start doing it. Go to meetings. Get a sponsor. Work the steps, you know. Take commitments. Commitments are the best way to show up for a meeting. Um, you know, and then the steps are here, you know. Um, they're, they're just suggested, but I tell you... It's a good idea to, to work them. They're, they're, it's very helpful. And you will see so many things about yourself that maybe you didn't know before. And, um, you know, my experience has been that if I don't see it, I can't change it, like the anger. I, I You know, I knew I was angry, but I didn't realize. Like, nobody likes to be around an angry person. <laughs> I was like, oh. Um, I get to change the things that, are, that, are, that stand in the way of my relationship with you and God. So, um I'm very grateful for this program. Um, if you're new, please stay, and thanks. <laughs> Probably have time for a question or two, if anybody has any. I have a sure. So um, having that experience of being somebody who has experience of deep isolation mm-hmm. and then going to, I don't know, 
you're now a part of a pack. <laughs> How was that transition for you? Mm. So the question is, um, having come from the background of deep isolation and then being involved in a pack, so I, you know, my, my Al-Anon, or my, my OA family, my AA family, my Al-Anon family, I have a lot, I have a big pack. Um, how, how was that transition for me? You know, I love that you asked that question. I did not know how much I craved those relationships. I didn't know. I had no idea. And the minute that I started being involved in these groups of women, oh my God, I, like I, I came alive. My, my heart came alive. I just came alive. But I didn't know. I had two sisters growing up. We, we, we did not have relationships. Our family was very compartmentalized. It was every man for himself. And um, so being a part of a group of women who were in recovery, who were doing all the things, I, you know what, honestly, I, I started to feel special. I started to feel like I was part of something special, like we were the cool kids, you know what I mean? And we were all out there doing our stuff, and um, it was very interesting. I felt a part of, and I'd never felt a part of before, and um, it, it was life-changing for me, you know? I've learned in recovery that I thrive in a structured environment, and so I always gravitate towards people who have strong recovery, because left to my own devices, I'll be on my couch. That's, that's a comfortable place for me. Even though in recovery it's not, I still think it is. I still think I need my downtime. So that's why I gravitate towards sponsorship that has very high expectations of how I show up because accountability works for me. Structure works for me. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Thank you. I think it's time. I think it's time, yeah.